Okay, let's talk about sex. I brought a cold drink, a cold towel, so I can get through this. No, just kidding. <clears throat> let's start with uh, prayer and we'll uh, dive right in and, and uh, get started. Father God, we thank you so much for the privilege we have of being in this place tonight. We do not take for granted the freedom we have to, to gather and to assemble together in your, in, in your church, and we thank you for that. Father, tonight I pray that you would uh, help us uh, catch a glimpse of what you have in mind for something that does affect all of us. And I pray, Father, that the scriptures and those words would be the drivers of what shapes our thinking. And uh, Father, I pray that you will use these things to bring good things into our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. There's a, a big question in the uh, computer world as to whether computers should be referred to as male or female. Two groups were formed to make a decision, and one group was all male, the other group was all female. The group of women determined that computers are definitely male because in order to get their attention, you have to turn them on. <laughs> Two, they have lots of data but are clueless. Three, they're supposed to help you solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. And four, as soon as you commit to one, you realize that if you'd only waited a little longer, you could have had a better model. <laughs> the group of men met to tackle the same question, and they decided that computers are definitely female, because number one, no one but their creator understands the internal logic Number two, the native language they use to communicate with other computers is incomprehensible to everyone else. Three, even your smallest mistakes are stored in the long-term memory <laughs> for instant retrieval at the wrong time. And four, as soon as you make a commitment to one, you find yourself spending half your paycheck on accessories for it. <laughs> I, just, I just zinged you both, so there you go. Well, we want to start with, uh, uh, I want to read the text from 1 Corinthians 7, and, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of wind our way back to this. But let me read what Paul has written on the subject um, of, of this, uh, the marriage relationship and the sexual relationship. Now, for matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. That's Paul, all right? But since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except for mutual consent and only for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Now, at first glance, you've got a, a guy, a male, 
making a statement. Uh, I always used to read that, that Paul basically said, it's better not to marry, but if you can't control yourself, go ahead and get married. Uh, to me, that's a low view of marriage. And uh, can I get some more monitor? I think down here, I can't tell if I'm on and my mic's acting goofy on my ear tonight. So, uh, oh, sorry, you got to come all the way down here and do that. Oh, well, I'd love to take those steps for you because I'm not up to my 10,000 yet today. And <laughs> I'm only at 53.96. So uh, anyway, the, uh, when we raise this subject of the sexual relationship, uh, there are some givens. First of all, I want you to be clear the given here uh, that we're talking about a relationship that God designed for a man and a woman. It starts in the garden, starts in creation, and uh, it's very well uh, clearly said there. When we get into all the issues that come with this subject, uh, one of the reasons we're doing this study is because there are so many world issues that can be traced back to this subject. I mean, if we would get this right, if we could get the sexual relationship right in marriage where it's supposed to be right, then we would have far less problems in our world. There would be, if it was done well, if, 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 this, if the physical relationship as well as the emotional, the spiritual relationships in marriage were handled like the Bible suggests they be handled, we wouldn't have divorce. There wouldn't be affairs. There would be no child molested. There'd be no rape. There would be no STDs. There would be no pornography. There would be no human trafficking. All those things are a result and more. There's, there's the list keeps going from there. And we'll spend some time uh, two weeks from tonight. Next week, Terry will be back and taking it uh, another step in the scriptures. And then in two weeks from tonight, we'll have some of our counseling staff up here on the stage where we will be able to talk about the distortions, all these distortions uh, that have created such havoc in our, in our world related to this issue. And I think you'll find that very helpful uh, to get the councils in here to help us understand some things from a psychological standpoint. And uh, I think it'll be fascinating. So that's, uh, that's two weeks from tonight. Uh, and I think we actually can, I think we conclude two weeks from tonight. I can't remember. So the problems we have uh, in the world revolving around the fact we have not gotten this topic right uh, are numerous. Some people experimented with sex before they realized how dangerous and powerful it is. Um, fathers, you have no idea how you could be an example to your daughters because they shape their thinking about men in the way you treat their mother. But oftentimes mothers didn't treat sons in a way that would shape how they viewed women. Uh, we have a very high view, and I need you to, I guess it jogs my thinking here, that we have a very high view of women in this church. This is a church, it's part of our doctrinal underpinnings, believes, and women serving and using their gifts in ministry and leadership. And that is not the case in every church, that is the case in this church, and we practice it. Far too many people these days are turning to pornography. The last statistic I saw, thank you, was 77% uh, of people polled have, have looked at pornography and the growing demographic is women. And so the statistics are mind-boggling, how we are turning to sexual satisfaction via the internet and pornography is this uh, growing issue with, uh, with the culture. 
Um, I'll, I'll refer quickly back to Romans 12 for just a moment. And uh, we'll just get reminded here what... Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And, and that's, that's wise advice for us. I'm going to go on down to verse uh, 21. Where am I going? In, in chapter 1, at verse 21, it says, Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. All they claimed, and, and although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and created and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. So th this is very much something, and, and I, perhaps we'll get on that two weeks from night with the counselors, that this, this uh, tragedy called pornography actually has tremendous impact on our brains and in, in the wiring of our brains. And it, it's a serious, serious issue, far more than we realize. And what even a greater tragedy it is, I grew up in a world that if you want, were tempted to look at it, you had to find a magazine rack somewhere. These days, our kids, if they're tempted to look at it, need just pick up their phones. And they've got access to whatever they'd like to look at via their cell phone. And certainly there's things, there's safeguards, there's uh, hopefully uh, filters that can be put on those things that will help. Uh, you know, our, our kids grew up in a time, we, we didn't have the cell phone issue until they were about high school age. And even then you couldn't surf the internet uh, with your cell phone. Uh, you know, in the, that's something that's new here in the last 15 years or so. So, Pornography, in some ways, is a form of worship. It's just worshiping the wrong thing. And that's kind of why I read those texts about being transformed by our thinking. So we know we live in a sexually charged culture. It's, it's everywhere. Suggestive photos. Uh, women in minimal clothing uh, that are used to make you look at advertisements from everything from cars to, to food. And no matter, as speaking as a guy, where a guy goes, there are women around revealing too much skin whether it's, again, television, movies, ball games, concerts, restaurants, wherever you go. Now, while there's always been sexual temptation and sexual sin, in the past, or there was a time, I think, in the world when we were ashamed of these things. And these days, we are far too few are ashamed or embarrassed. Genesis says that the man and the woman were naked and not ashamed. That's because they had had that God made them and put them together in the garden in Genesis chapter 2. And unfortunately, now we have reduced, uh, I believe, the human body to, in, the, in this subject, I think, sometimes to not much higher than an animal. We're, we're no longer ashamed. And, and I think that's, uh, unfortunately, um, something that we need to be careful of because we in the church should know better, and we do know better, and we know that God has a very high view 
of men and women and a very high view of marriage in a man and a woman and a very high view of marriage, of sex between a man and a woman. So this all adds up to a culture that we live in that, that expects sex in ways it was never intended, expecting sex to provide things it was not intended to provide. And I think we need to be very, very careful. C.S. Lewis said this, we are half-hearted teachers fooling around with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are far too easily pleased. So let's just start kind of walking through this. Uh, This is from Matthew Henry's commentary. Eve was made by God, not out of Adam's head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. I like this. And the thing I want to try to, I've got to drive home, a lot of how you view the sexual relationship is how you view women, how you might view men, men how you would view women. And if you don't have a high view of men or women, then you're going to have a very difficult time appreciating what God's Word says about the relationship, the physical sexual relationship between a man and a woman. So this is very clear. The one thing I love about this text is it, it shows that we, have, we are both men and women made in the image of God. We've been made equal. We are under his arm. Uh, women have been made under, under our arms to be protected and near our heart to be loved. And, and I think it's very important that we, we understand what God has in mind for us as male and female. And some may not agree with that, but I think the Bible paints a very high view of men and women. And I think where we particularly have some difficulty is men's view of women. And uh, sometimes if it isn't based on, the, on biblical thought, on the Genesis type of thinking, or some of the things we'll look at tonight, then that creates a, a, a pattern of thinking that, that to me has great hindrance and it strays from the Bible's idea of the sexual relationship. All right? So, a couple of things. Sex is, it's a physical act. It's an emotional experience. It's a spiritual experience. I think these are all on your notes if you want to look at that. And uh, let, me, let me go back here. So we, this, this is the stuff. We, we need to understand we're not just talking about a physical act. We're talking about a physical act and an emotional experience because it does appeal to our emotions and our senses. But it is also handled the way God would have us handle this. It is a spiritual experience. It is obedience to God that God would, have, would be pleased that we are handling this wonderful thing called sex in the way he intended it to be handled. And let me tell you, God is not, uh, if you read through some of the Bible, if you spend some time in Song of Solomon, you'll find out real quickly, God is by no means a prude. He was very creative. And the Bible speaks very creatively, and we'll get to that in just a minute. So it's physical, emotional, and spiritual. Now, Marriage, the sexual relationship in marriages gets complicated by a couple of things. First is differing levels of desire. And of course, the stereotype is that men always have more desire than women. While that seems to be uh, somewhat true, I I've certainly have had conversations with a lot of married couples over the years, and I found that to be an issue um, uh, as, as sometimes as much with women as it is with men. But the point is, we often have, we find ourselves in a marriage relationship with differing levels of desire. And that's going to create the need then to listen carefully to what Paul would tell us to do in 1 Corinthians 7. We'll get there. Secondly, when there are relational conflicts, 
clearly, if, if you're in a conflict in your relationship, uh, this is going to hinder the, uh, and complicate what God has in mind in our expressions physically as husbands and wives. And relational conflicts, they, every marriage has issues. There is not a perfect marriage on the planet. Every marriage requires work. It takes effort. Kim and I were talking the other day about, you know, when we first got married, and, you know, I certainly thought, well, we've been dating. It was wonderful. We had fun. Uh, we loved each other. We, we, we had same uh, thoughts spiritually. We were on the same page spiritually. We were on the same page uh, with how we wanted to handle money. With, well, we were on the same page with how we were going to do, do it. I mean, we just were on the same page. And then we got married, and we lost the pages. It's like, <laughs> what happened? Suddenly, it just wasn't coming natural anymore. <laughs> Suddenly, I, she felt I, or I felt she could take me or leave me. You know, it's like, wait a minute, what, what is this all about? And that's, that really uh, can be a deal killer. And thankfully, we had so much going for us, we were able, as most couples do, overcome those things. We both went into our marriage knowing, I think, pretty much at least knowing what was required to be a good husband and a good wife. We, we did have that down. Now, we didn't know what it would take to flesh that out. In other words, to live it out. We didn't know how that would be challenged. But I had had a great role model in my dad about being a good husband. And, and, and I say that about my dad, even though my parents divorced in their 30th year of marriage. But I did have, I've had some good role models around me who showed me as a, what men, how, how men I highly respected treated their wives. And I've had the same about how wives treat their husbands. So a lot of young couples get married, and it's heartbreaking when you get two people that just really don't know how to be married. And they don't know how to get it going. And sometimes they can't. And that's a very heartbreaking thing. So you get conflict in a, in a marriage. And, and I'm just talking about some of those conflicts in the first year or two or three. Well, but then you get into kids, you get into raising kids. You get into pregnancy. You get into your body changing, ladies, during a pregnancy. I remember when we had our son, Tyler, our first, our first son. I, was, I mean, it was just an experience I, I will never forget. And any of you that have been through it, you know what I'm talking about. It's a powerful thing. And I watched Kim, and I watched the, the pain, the sacrifice it was taking on her, on her body, and on her, the, the moment she delivered that child. And it was so painful for her, I ended up on the floor with a cold washcloth on my head. You know? <laughs> it's like, whoa. And, and you know, I kind of came to, and she gives me, she's on the bed, almost looks over at me, go, you're such a loser, you know. Because <laughs> the nurses were kind of worried about me, and she's trying to give birth to a baby, and I'm over here needing a cold washcloth on my head. So it was not a great moment for me uh, to shine and to be supportive, but I'll never forget that. But then I, I remember when, so it's been a while, it's been a week, you know, we get home with Tyler and month goes by, whatever. And, and I remember she, and I think I've told this before, she one day was kind of expressing her frustration with her body, you know, trying to get back into shape or worried that maybe I didn't find her attractive. And I assured her how attractive she was to me. She was more, in some ways, watching that, watching her do that gave me such a, even a deeper level of love and appreciation for her that she would put herself through that and, and uh, deliver that child, carry that child, and, and do everything she's supposed to do to, to give birth to a healthy baby. I, I just was floored by that. And I expressed that to her. And nine months later, Kristen was born. So <laughs> just saying, it, 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 it could work. 
You'll never, you'll never know what it felt like to go to Roy Norma's house when Tyler was four months old and say we're pregnant again. So Roy gave me a look in his eyes that I thought he's going to kill me, you know. But anyway. So you get relational conflict going on in the marriage, and clearly, you know, you, it does not make you feel very um, romantic. Uh, and, you know, then you get money problems or kids, you know, you're raising kids and you're exhausted at the end of a day or you gain weight or whatever it is. There are time pressures and typically sex is safe for the end of the day. You often find yourself at the end of the day completely spent, exhausted, you know, get the kids in bed, get the house quiet and conk out. And before you know it, you've let this area of your life kind of slide into something lesser important than God would have intended. Now, there are seasons Understand, there are seasons, and that's what Paul refers to when you, you by mutual consent, and we'll get there, you, you decide that you're going to take time away from the sexual relationship, but, but we'll talk about that in a second. So Paul makes that clear. There are those times. There are seasons. I think we need to also remember, as we deal with conflicts, relational conflicts, I think this is an appropriate place to make the comment that we need to understand that sex is never to be used as a reward Sex is not a punishment or withholding it is not a punishment and it's not a bargaining tool. That is not the purpose of this fabulous relationship that takes place between a man and a woman. And, that, that, and sometimes when you get into conflicts, you can misuse this or you can feel very differently about this than, than the Bible would allow us, all right? So you've got, you've got different levels of desire, you've got relational conflicts, and then you have cultural temptations, Cultural temptations. And, that, and I kind of referred to that a minute ago, whether you, um, you, know, you know, the constant bombardment of bodies uh, without uh, enough clothing on, and I think it works on both sides of this. And, and you, you see uh, what, what is we accept as the norm on TV, what we accept as the norm in advertisements, um, we're just so numb to it all. I think that's where we've come to a point where I catch myself not being shocked anymore by what might be happening on TV. And I, I need to get back to a point where I'm shocked by it and where I don't accept it and where I might just turn the thing off and just not go roll along with this, uh, this stuff that comes across the, the TV screen at times, across our minds and so particularly, I guess, for guys, and I think it can go both ways, but I'm, you know, as a guy, uh, and I, I wanted a woman's voice in this, but I couldn't find one who was willing to get up here with me, and uh, I didn't want to find, I really needed the one I'm married to, and uh, uh, she was just not available for this particular talk, let me put it that way. So, uh, but when, when you are out in the workplace, you get these cultural temptations. You know, you, at home, you're, you're, you've got a wife or a husband, and, and you're just doing this all the time because you've got to pay bills, and you've got to do life, and you've got to clean the house, you've got to fix the house, you've got to do this, and you're just doing this all the time because you're just getting through the monotony of life. And you've got kids to discipline, and you may not agree on how you, how you discipline, and you may not agree on how you're spending money, and you've got a budget, and somebody busts the budget, and whatever. You're, you're at home doing this, and all of a sudden you go to work, and you, you kind of have a coworker that's rather cute or rather handsome, and, that, and we forget that in that moment that you're free of those conflicts. There is no conflict in that. That's what shocks people, I think, who, who end up in affairs, and they suddenly find out this, there's just as much conflict here as there was in the other one. 
it, it, there's conflict. And so what happens when the cultural temptations are people we work with or people we're out with or those who I think have to travel a lot, that, that would cause me a great concern. So you can be so easily tempted in certain situations if you're not careful. And the strongest among us can fall if we're not careful because the cultural temptations are significant. And so uh, the dynamics of that are are un- just unbelievable. So let me read for a minute. Let me, let me tr- start. Let's get into what, and what is God's, what is his idea about marriage? What, what's he after? What, what does he allow? What is God wanting here? So, for example, uh, let me just go back to Song of Solomon for a minute. Uh, there's a book that I'd strongly recommend. There's two books, and there's many more out there, but the two I'm, uh, and they're, they're probably dated a little bit, but they're good books. One is called The Book of Romance by um, Tommy Nelson. Uh, Tommy Nelson has done some great writing on this topic, The Book of Romance. Another one is a book by Kevin Lehman called Sheet Music, uh, and it's, I think it's a fantastic book. And it, it was, the, both those books say things in there that I'd rather you read that I don't particularly want to say. <laughs> so I'll, I'll trust you to read them, and you'll get the gist of what I mean that I'd prefer that I just didn't tell you. Anyway, but having said that, let me, let me read some Song of Solomon to you from the message paraphrase. You're so beautiful, my darling, and your dove eyes are veiled. Your hair as it by your hair, your dove eyes are veiled as, by your hair as it flows and shimmers like a flock of goats in the distance. <laughs> Kim, your hair's like a flock of goats, you know. <laughs> Streaming down a hillside in the sunshine, your smile is generous and full, expressive and strong and clean. Your lips are jewel red, your mouth elegant and inviting, your veiled cheeks soft and radiant. The smooth lines of your neck command notice. All heads turn in awe and admiration. Your breasts are like fawns, the twins of a gazelle. I knew I shouldn't have worn this sweater. (laughs) You're the twins of a gazelle. Your breasts are like gazelles grazing among the first spring flowers. The sweet, fragrant curves of your body, the soft, spiced contours of your flesh Invite me, and I will come and stay until dawn breathes its light and the night slips away. You're beautiful from head to toe, my dear love, beyond, beautiful beyond compare, absolutely flawless. And it just keeps going. And, and it's like, oh, my goodness, I, I, I didn't know how biblical all this stuff was. This is just pretty amazing. Wake up, north wind, get moving, south wind. Breathe on my garden, fill the air with spice fragrance. Let my lover enter his garden. Let him eat the fine, ripe fruits. That's enough, okay? <laughs> you get the picture, all right? You, you, you get the picture. And so what, this is, what, what the Bible starts saying to us, and I'm trying, I've got to skim over a topic. We could spend six weeks alone on this, on this one, but we, we don't have that luxury right now. We'll come back to it maybe. But what this reminds us biblically, what God is telling us in what is in the Bible is that there's a need for romance. There's a need for time to be invested in in this relationship we have, not not just physical, but emotional and spiritual. And the truth is we have trouble keeping all three of those in perfect balance because they need to be in balance. And so what tends to happen is we we get out of balance in one of those areas and, and 
truthfully, it tends to be out of balance, oftentimes more spiritually or physically. And we, you know, kind of like when people get uh, in a bind with their time and they get pressured uh, and their time, their schedule gets too full. What do we typically see them uh, put off to the side if they can get around to it? Church or the spiritual development of their life or their family. That often gets set to the side. Well, nothing gets set aside often is the physical relationship. You're just too tired. You don't have, you know, some, somebody's working too late. Somebody's up too late. Somebody, again, to get the picture. And what's happening here is we don't realize this could be dangerous. And I think it's what I want all of you to understand on, on the relationship, the, the sexual relationship in a marriage. If we don't take care of it, if we don't watch it, I mean really watch over it, it can be dangerous. It really can. The, the consequences of what happens. That's why Paul says what he says about uh, have your own wife, wife, have your own husband so you don't fall in immorality. Because it, the truth is most of the population on the planet has a sex drive at some level or another. There are some like Paul who were given the gift of celibacy. And he, was, he he's writes in there, he says, I wish everybody could be like I am. He was, he was just free from that. He, he didn't have any, if he had any kind of a sex drive, he had somehow figured out a way to set that off to the side and stay focused on what he felt God had caught him to focus on. But most of us have a sex drive and it's there for a reason. It's given to us by God and it must be treated very carefully because it is a powerful thing. And what happens, what the Bible's telling us tonight, is when we don't take care of it and when we don't take care of each other, then we are putting the other one in a very difficult spot. And, and, I, and I'm not saying it can, be, it, can, it can be men who've taken their eyes off of this and who are not realizing how important it may be to the wife. It can be the wife who's, who's uh, you know, uh, taking the eyes off how important it is and then it causes a problem with the husband. It, it causes all kinds of problems. I mean, some of the reasons for all the sexual problems we have in the world are just deviant minds. You know, people are just deviant. Uh, there's a book I've read years and years ago. It's out of print called uh, The Myth of the Greener Grass. It's a great book on marriage and, and divorce and affairs and those kinds of things. And a variety of things that cause us struggles in, in marriage relationships or, or cause us to harm our marriage relationships. And it makes a comment in there that there are just some people that um, unfortunately, uh, it doesn't take much for them to veer away uh, from their marriage. It, it's, it becomes a, a recreational sport for them. But I think by and large, what, is, what, what I see more of after 30 years of ministry is where people took their eyes off taking care of this relationship, the sexual relationship in a marriage. And they, what they did is inadvertently probably put each other at times, or at least one of them, in a very precarious position of temptation. And a, a phrase I've used before is that, and it's a, again, it's men or women. I'm, I'm keeping this pretty equal, pretty fair right now. I think that's kind of where it is. But uh, where, where I think uh, someone, uh, I was telling someone this, I remember years ago, and I'd heard this, and, and it may be in one of these books, but um, you, you know, you get angry with a spouse who jumped off of this cliff of adultery or, or whatever sexual place they turn to. And, you know, there's, there's this anger that results from the other spouse. And yet I remember someone saying to that other spouse very clearly, 
you know, it's not right that he jumped off that cliff or that she jumped off that cliff, but let me tell you something, you led her to the edge of that cliff. And I thought that was, that was wise counsel because it's, it's quick for us to blame someone who finds themselves tempted. In a, and I'm not excusing it. There is no excuse for it. But I'm just saying the reason we have such pressure, such temptation, and we, and we lose and fail so much in this area is because we, are, we, are, we have failed either by, by lack of education or lack of commitment to, to take care of the sexual relationship where it's supposed to be taken care of in a marriage. And that's very, very important. Okay. Um, first, uh, we've read 1 Corinthians 7. So um, let, let me, let, let's dig into this just a little bit. Uh, we've got a little bit of time left. We're halfway through. So, so Paul makes this statement in uh, chapter 7 um, for the matters you wrote about. So Corinth is having a problem with this, all right? Uh, this is a letter that's been written to Corinth, and there's a lot of problems in, in Corinth. For example, uh, in the ancient world outside of Israel, uh, this, the little fledgling church that was starting there after Christ uh, ascended back into the heavens, sex in that culture in that day was regarded pretty much as a non-moral uh, anything goes activity. And you can read widely about it in the scriptures. Um, and it was just, it was sort of a, anything goes in that culture. There were some logistical rest restrictions around having a spouse who might get jealous, but mostly the idea in the ancient world was get as much as you can from whomever you can. That was not unusual. Corinth, for example, was a, a particularly guilty of this. It was particularly loose, as some would say. There was a temple in Corinth that was devoted in, to the Greek goddess of love. And one writer has said there were a thousand temple prostitutes. One thousand temple prostitutes. You go to the temple, have a little sex, go home. And Corinth was very loose in this regard. And it was almost kind of like a what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, you know. And that's what Paul's dealing with. And then you had people that, it, that had, had, because they'd become believers, now they were, they were getting more religious or more spiritual. Somehow there'd been some who had decided they, they thought that meant that you shouldn't enjoy sex. They had stopped having sexual relations, uh, and there was a religious thread going through that. And so that was another thing Paul's dealing with, because now what you had is because there'd been people decide to no longer have sex who were married, and that was creating even bigger problems with immorality in Corinth. And there's all kinds of little historical tidbits there that are kind of interesting what Paul was addressing. But he was addressing a cesspool when it came to this subject. So that's why he's writing. That's what he's saying. So Paul writes to this town and, and the way the world worked. And he is saying, now, if you're a follower of Jesus, your body is going to be a different story. Because now you have to flee the temptation. You have to run and escape it. You've got to get far away from that temptation. You've got, you, you can have nothing to do with sexual immorality. He's making this point clear. And so I, I think it's important biblically that, that I'm, I don't want to be vague here. I think we've got to say this. But a lot of people hear that phrase and they'll read it and say, well, sure, I'll flee sexual immorality. I wouldn't want to have anything to do with that. But now we're having sex with each other and we love each other. But doesn't that, but does that, you know, and we're not married. Doesn't that count as, is that okay? 
and, and, or I flee that stuff, but I enjoy visiting certain websites. websites. Is, is that okay? Does that count in this immorality? You know, we probably will get married at some point, but so it doesn't really matter now, does it? It doesn't count now, does it? So you see, we don't get to define sex. We don't get to define sexual immorality. We, we don't get to define whatever definition we want of sex. Because the Bible has spoken to it. Our creator who made us has given us this gift and given us the guidelines on how to live that out in marriage. It's very important. So Christians are called uh, to uh, manage, for lack of a better term, the sexuality in a way that honors God. And that's what Paul is trying to get to. I mean, it, Paul sounds kind of a little bit chauvinistic and you know like I said I, I used to read that and think well Paul you know so Paul's basically saying Marty if you don't have any self-control go ahead and get married that's really not what he's he, he's making clear what he what, how it works for him but now you understand why he said that because of the difficulties that were a part of the culture certainly there in that in that town of Corinth all right so first Corinthians 7 Paul says we've got to understand a couple of things for a healthy sex life. And that's what this text tells us. Right? One, you, we've got to understand preference and need. All right? Paul preferred being single. That was his preference. Paul preferred that, he said, it's good for a man not to marry. I, I wish all men were like me. Paul clearly had little need or had somehow... Uh, prayed through or found a way to, to not let that issue be a, a temptation or a source of sin in his life. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift. One has this gift, another. He was saying, I have that gift. He said that in verse 7. I've just been given that gift of celibacy. And I think Interestingly enough, I think this also, on a side note, reminds us that there are singles in this church some of them have chosen or feel they've been given the opportunity or the gift of celibacy. And then some of them are not married and wish they could be. And we have to remain sensitive to that, to that reality. We, we have to make clear we remember that, that uh, they've got a whole different set of issues in how they're going to handle this. So we've got to, the, the first thing he speaks to then is preference and need. And his preference was not to be married. His need was very uh, minimal or non-existent uh, at some point. Uh, in terms of a sex drive, all right? So uh, I've already read that. We don't need to read it again. Secondly, commitment. Paul says we've got to understand the nature of commitment. So he says, but since there is so much immorality, and there was in Corinth, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now, now think about it for a minute. Can you imagine living in a town where it was completely accepted to swing by the temple that particular temple to the goddess of love. See a prostitute, no big deal. Thousands were doing it. You don't have a thousand prostitutes in this temple of the goddess of love if they're not needed. So you're living in a culture where it's just no big deal. So Paul's making very clear, this is not what God has in mind. So since there's so much immorality in our city, he might be saying, each man should have his own wife, each woman her own husband. All right, and then he speaks to duty and communication. 
This is where it gets specific for us. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and only for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Okay? So that you can devote yourselves to prayer. Now this talks about a couple things. To me, one is duty. I like the word priority better. But I have a duty to my wife as her husband. All right, it's my, it's my duty, but my priority, and, and that's, that's real important. Not only is it a task, in other words, or is it something I, I need to be mindful of. I have a responsibility here as a husband. So I'm going to make it a priority. It means I've got to think about it differently, and I've got to think about it differently more frequently. Because it starts changing how you see this gift, in other words. We're, we're going to look at this gift that God's given us here, and we're now starting to realize how precious it is, how powerful it is for good. And, and another, so he talks about how this is a, a duty we have. It's, it's in the wife, likewise the wife to her husband. Now look at this. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. That's the communication. All right. This ought to be discussed I'm just going to come right out and say it. Your sex life needs to be the topic of discussion frequently. It really should. How are you doing here? How are you feeling here? And I know, you know, you get married when you're young, you think, you, you don't need to talk about this. It's just going to come natural, isn't it? <laughs> and then all of a sudden you realize, no, it's not coming natural. What's wrong here? This needs to be discussed. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent, which means the only way you get the mutual consent is you've had a discussion and you have agreed on something. And so he says, and, and only for a time, Paul's saying, be very careful here so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Some other paraphrases or translations say prayer and fasting. But in other words, and there can be other reasons, but, but you mutually agree that you are going to take time away from that physical relationship. It could be because of an illness. Be because of birth of a child. But, but it's been discussed. By mutual consent, we agree that, that we are going to take a time where we are not going to engage sexually, but we're going we're to spend the time, what Paul's saying is, so you devote yourself to prayer. But Paul's making real clear here. He said, you're, you're, you're playing with fire if you don't think about this, if you don't make it a priority, if you don't talk about it, and, and, if, and if you're not discussing it and, there's, and the sexual relationship is not happening as, as it should, you better be praying. <laughs> and if you ain't praying, never mind. So do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. That's communication. And communication about our needs, we ought, we ought to know very well what level of appetite each other has. That needs to be known. We need to talk about how we're going to deal with that. How, how are we going to meet that need? We need to be specific. Read the Song of Solomon. You know what? We need to make our sex life sizzle. Find what works. All right, you'd be shocked at what's allowed in here. <laughs> I'm just telling you what the Bible says, but I can't say it. I just can't bring myself to go say it. You just need to read it. It's pretty hot. 
Find what works. Find how to please each other. Well, you've got to understand, since God gave this as a gift, this is a gift he's given to us, then he is pleased when we are treating it right, handling it right, and enjoying it. And, and the truth is, the better our sex lives are, the happier God is with us because we're doing that part of our life well. We're, 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 we're enjoying it like he meant for it to be used. I believe God's heart just breaks over the sexual confusion that exists in marriages. And, I, and, and then from there, you just start going down the line of all the conflicts we have in this world because of this. Because we haven't, we just haven't, on, by and large in the population, we haven't gotten this right. And this, when it's out of control here, when something goes wrong here, as it begins to spin out of control, the options for further destruction are unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Okay. Come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And at first, at first glance, I'll tell you, I'm a little, I'm a little uh, offended by Paul. If he were standing here in front of me, I'd say, no, wait a minute. I, don't, I haven't lost my self-control. You know? But I know. Let, let's see what he's saying here, though. All right. So he's saying you, you get back together again when, when you have agreed that you're going to take time away from that relationship for whatever reason. And there are reasons. There are times we take a break. You get back together again soon so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Remember, these men in this case in Corinth were walking by the temple with complete access to any sexual fantasy they had. Uh, I will never forget when um, I began speaking to pastors. I spent three years, twice a year, going to uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And... um, and so I'd fly into Amsterdam, and then my pastor host would pick me up, and we would drive up north uh, to the retreat center. So the first, one of my first trips, he goes, let me just show you what we're up against here. And we stopped in what is called a coffee shop. Some of you know where that's going. It was where you pick up your marijuana. It's legal, it's legal there. You walk in, it looked just like a bar. Behind the counter were just these tubes of multicolored tubes, and one color it meant it was from this country, and one color meant it had been grown here and been taken. You know, it's like, to, what flavor do you like best? What country do you like it from? And you buy it, and you can sit there and smoke it, or you can go outside and smoke it. That was, a, you know, that was a, you know, this has now been seven, eight years ago. And again, we're sort of just used to it now, aren't we? Because it's now legal here in, in, in our country. I, I was in Colorado this summer. I'm drive in to where the A&W used to be, and uh, it was a fabulous Christian couple that owned the A&W, and we kind of like A&W. We'd go to Colorado, we'd go to A&W, and we had a made a little family thing out of it, you know. Well, and they'd play Christian music, and they'd have up on their sign, you know, they'd have verses or little thoughts spiritually, you know, which was to me like a little bright light in a kind of a dark liberal place, and, and to be honest with you. So um, this July, we drive into town, and A&W looks entirely, boy, it had been totally redone. And then I realized it's no longer A&W. Beautiful facade, and they've redone the look of it. It had this green, red cross-looking thing, except it's green. Uh, what's that? And it, I think it was called Native Roots. It's a chain. I found it a chain of stores in Colorado, Native Roots. I thought, you got to be kidding me. And it just, but, but now we're starting to get used to it. You know, it's, it's coming. 
Probably going to come to Oklahoma someday. We, we just get anesthetized. So in other words, so here's what's going on here. The, the, these, in, in that culture, trying to protect themselves from those kinds of temptations was serious, serious business. And they were real. These temptations were real. And so they had to be addressed. So we've got to be careful where we let the culture take our thinking. We have to be careful what we allow ourselves to get accustomed to or used to. And I tell you, there's times in every man's life, I'll speak as a man here, there's times in every man's life, I would think, unless you're more like Paul, and I applaud you if you are. But most of us guys in this room, there's times in our life when we, we are, we're forgetting how bombarded we're being with images and how we're getting, we forget we need to really think very carefully about, we need to feel a tinge of guilt. And guilt has fallen out of vogue these days. We don't like guilt anymore. Guilt is a good emotion that is a little spark inside of us when something is going on that needs to stop. And so we have to be very careful that we don't just get accustomed to this. This is just the way it is. And that's exactly what Paul was trying to, to say. That's exactly why he was so stern about it and, and why it was so important and uh, why he made such a big fuss about it. Okay? Preference and need, commitment, duty, and communication. That's what Paul's saying here. And then number four, mutual ownership. Wife's body doesn't belong to her alone, but to her husband. In the same way, husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. <clears throat> Interesting. In this uh, book of romance um, by Tommy Nelson, let me read something he, he, uh, he says. A young bride asked me as she sat in the bridal room awaiting the wedding ceremony, Pastor Tommy, what do I do tonight? She was wide-eyed and a little scared, and suddenly she's facing the fact that within a few hours, she and her beloved young groom were going to be alone together and embarking on an experience of sexual intimacy. He said, I thought to myself, now is not the time to be having this conversation. I said to her, whatever you're feeling, tell him. That was the best advice I could give her at the time, and in retrospect, I've concluded it was good advice. A wife needs to respond to her husband by telling him what she likes and doesn't like, how she's feeling and what she desires even more strongly. Solomon's bride had no trouble in saying to her husband what she wanted. She said, in effect, come and have all the sex you want. Come to my garden, eat your fill of my fruit. She turned it loose. If I'd been able to think fast enough in that moment, he says, of crash counseling, I'd have also told that young bride, consider that every part of you is free and available to your husband. Let him, let him explore all of you, and you explore all of him. Solomon's bride was holding nothing back. Great sex to a woman is tenderness. To a man, it's responsiveness. And I think that is very important for us to remember. In the marriage, so how, do we, how are we going to protect this? And again, I could spend so many hours on each one of these points, but I don't have that luxury. And I'm not sure I could, I could do it. <laughs> um, this is a big responsibility, uh, and I, I take it very serious. So we've already read this. Wife's body doesn't belong to her alone, but also to her husband. Same way the husband's body doesn't belong to him alone, but also to his wife. All right. And then in Ephesians 5, he says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. A hint. And a hint, that word in Greek means hint. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's exactly what it means. 
It means if there's a chance to take a second look, guys, don't do it. There, that's a hint, and you don't want to do that. Look down, look down, look down, look down, look down, you know. <laughs> you know, my, uh, my sons occasionally, uh, and I, I think I help them uh, pretty well. I mean, I, it would appear that things are going fine so far. But uh, there are times I might be walking with Cole in Nashville, and he'll say, Dad, look down, look down, look down, look down. If you go down Broadway in Nashville, you know, there's this, it's just a string of restaurants and bars and music playing in all of them. And the summertime uh, Nashville uh, dress code for girls is short shorts, as short as you can get them, and cowboy boots. You get the picture. So there, and then there'd be time I'd be saying to Cole, Cole, look down, look down. In fact, let's turn around. Let's go this way because <laughs> I don't want you to see that. And, and that's another thing I'll say. I didn't even touch on how do we help our kids with this. And, and that's a, that could be another, another subject. But I've talked very openly with my kids about this from the first time we read those little books about the time they needed to have the talk and the birds and the bees. And we were very open about it. Had a couple not long ago. Uh, they've got younger kids. And uh, they were asking me how Kim and I handled that with our kids. And I told them. And so they uh, were going to tell their older son and... Um, they did that, and then uh, I said, how'd it go? And he said, well, I, I explained, you know, I explained to my son, the, the dad saying this, I explained to my son, um, and they have three kids, by the way, they have three kids, and so he's explained to his son, he goes, well, here's how, how you have sex, and here's what happens to your body parts, and here's what you do, and, and, the, and the kid looked up at his dad and said, and you and mom have done that three times? So I said, well, what'd you say? <laughs> and he said, well, this week. <laughs> he said that's what he wanted to say, but thankfully he didn't say that, and I was very proud of him for not saying that. All right. So, <laughs> in the marriage, all right, if we're going to protect our marriages, um, there's a couple of things. Boundaries. And now we're really not... We're talking about if we're going to have this great experience that God has in mind for us sexually as husband and wife, then we want to protect it. And that means we've got to set some boundaries in advance. Let's face it. We all know. We all know what tempts us. We know. My dad was very helpful to me in life young when he said, Marty, you need to find out what is the target the devil's going to try to hit when he wants to tempt you and take you down. What is it? And we all pretty much know what that is, but we need to define it, own it, say it, be, be, be honest about it. There's a target on our back, and we all need to know what it is. And for a lot of people, it is sex. Have boundaries. Be careful. Protect yourself from getting hit by Satan's temptations, driving you into places, into thoughts and actions where you just don't want to go. All right? Boundaries. Very, very important. Secondly, accountability. You know that I'm a huge fan of counseling. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of people that uh, are in study, maybe a small group together, three or four guys or one-on-one -on -one in discipleship. Be accountable. And, and I would just suggest if, if you're struggling in this area and you, need, you have no one in which to be accountable to, someone who like iron will sharpen iron and someone who will kind of raise the bar for you and, and help you aspire to a higher level of thinking in this area, you, you need to very much think about that. Get accountable. And you can do that with a trusted friend or a trusted spiritual leader. 
uh, or a counselor, but get accountable. Three, uh, counseling. And that goes beyond accountability. There's a, I, I cannot tell you how heartbreaking it is, and I think we've created a pretty good culture here on this topic. But it just astounds me uh, when you see couples in deep, deep trouble. I mean, there are serious problems in this marriage. There's a train wreck getting ready to happen. And they resist going to counseling. It, it just makes me sometimes want to grab a guy by the shoulders and say, what are you thinking? You call the counselor. Don't make your wife do that. You call him or her. You call the counselor. You take some initiative here. You fight for your marriage. And they can say that to the man or the woman, whoever. But do not, do not take this approach that you can somehow fix it or you're just going to figure it out on your own. If you could figure it out on your own, you wouldn't be in a mess you're in. So whatever thinking got you into the mess you may be in, cannot, you've got to have help rewinding that and getting out of that mess. And, and it means boundaries. It means accountability. And it, I think it means counseling. And then there's got to be communication. Like Paul says, you've got to talk about this. So I would say in the marriage, talk about it. If I just wrap this up real quick, please understand that one of the first steps here is talk about it. And it's hard to talk about. But talk about it. You'll never regret it. Secondly, remember, I think for both men and women, if you understand and know with clarity what the need level is in your spouse, then initiate that. Initiate meeting that need. Now, if you have a low need and you're married to someone with high need, it doesn't, it doesn't excuse you from taking initiative. You need to take initiative. We both, both male and female, we want to be wanted. We want to be desired. So don't, don't forget that. You, again, if you're a low need person, you, you, may, you may need to take initiative at times, not based on your need, but based on the duty. And same with men or same, same with the men. If you have low need, you've got to be very careful about that. You've got to take initiative. All right, now, duty is never, ever should it be used in a way that um, degrades a partner, a husband or a wife, where it becomes degrading or demeaning as, that turns or objectifies them or turns that into an object. That is not what God has in mind. There has to be understanding, and that's why there's got to be communication. That's why you have to talk about it. And then you're going to agree that we're going to live with this understanding of each other in this relationship. We're going to live within this. And we're going to do the best we can to navigate this. And so we're going to communicate. We're going to take initiative. And again, I'd taken a cue from Song of Solomon. Get creative. Sex ought to be, it ought to be amazing. Right? It not always is. But it should be a lot more than probably we think it should. Read Song of Solomon. Get to chapter 4 and 5 and just see how you do. All right? Go to the end of the book and try that, and uh, it could cure everything. You cure everything that, uh, that makes you crazy. All right? So communicate, take initiative, get creative, and make it a priority. All right? I think I've got this quote up here. Yeah, Tommy Nelson says this in his book. Stay steadfast in your love for your spouse, but stay innovative in the way you express your love. I was with a friend, uh, I've been in Indiana the last two days, and uh, at a board meeting up at Anderson University, and uh, I got to sit for a little while with a friend of mine who's uh, going to be 80 soon. They've been married 50-some uh, years. 
And so I told him, he, he was asking me uh, the other night, what are, you, what, what are you talking about these days? And I told him what I was talking about Wednesday, and he goes, oh, wow, you're really going to talk about that? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, tell me, what, what's been the key to your marriage? You got 50, I think it's 55, 56 years. What, what's been the key? Tell me what. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, we, we like every other couple, we, we have arguments that, uh, you know, would make a great movie. Uh, people would buy tickets to see us argue. We're, we're good at it. Had some fierce arguments. We're different. We have different interests. But he said, we did both come into this marriage wanting to take very good care of each other spiritually and physically. We wanted God to be first. We never wanted to put the other one in a tough situation because we were just being neglectful. Because we forgot to make it a priority. And I, wow, that, that'll preach. You know, don't, don't write it. I'm going to use it, but I'm not going to tell you who said it. So anyway, that gives me some grace there. But we've just got to be sure. Let's stay steadfast. Make it a priority. Stay steadfast in your love for your spouse. Stay innovative in the way you express it. And that, that can be done in a lifelong of joy and happiness in a marriage. Okay, I've told you more than I know. But I, but I wanted to, we wanted to take one session and really talk to married people about how to handle this because this is a big problem in the culture. It's a huge problem. And you all know that. You don't need me to tell you that. It's a huge issue. And I would just like to see uh, more and more people who love Jesus and are centering their life on Jesus get this right. And that's the beauty of being Christ-centered. When, when we're centered on Christ, that's where the power is. That's where the Spirit fills us with his fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, the ones we're talking about here, faithfulness. And, and I'm telling you, pretty much everything I've said tonight, you could just say is sort of null and void unless you are living in the power of Jesus Christ. And I think the deeper your walk with God and the deeper the relationship with Jesus Christ, the better everything in marriage gets. That doesn't mean it's easy but the better I believe it can get. Because the Bible has a lot to say about how we treat each other in marriage, certainly has a lot to say about how we handle this issue of sex in husbands and wives. So why not find out what it says, and then let's put that into practice. That's my hope and prayer for all of you. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege we have of being together, being in this place. I thank you for our church that... Um, through, really throughout our history has always been one that wanted to deal with reality and stay transparent, talk frankly about the issues of life. Thank you, Father, for the gifts you've given us. Thank you for this wonderful gift of sex. And Father, I pray we might leave here tonight thinking a little differently about it, where that is needed. I pray we would have a deeper appreciation for it. I pray, Father, that we might understand what you have in mind I pray that we might make it a priority. I pray, Father, we'd have the courage to communicate and to talk to each other about this very important part of our life. And, Father, I pray that all of our marriages would be Christ-honoring, that because of our love and the way we express it as a married couple, others might be inspired because of our walk with Jesus Christ. Father, we would pray that your spirit would continue to find freedom in us to produce the kind of fruit that causes us to be people that are serious about our faith, 
serious about our relationships. And Father, we know this is possible. So thank you for the privilege tonight. Thank you for what your word says to us. We've just skimmed the surface. But thank you for what your word says to us on this subject. Thank you that we are not lacking information. But Father, I do pray now you would help us to put it into practice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.